When I joined the club three years ago, I went to Tottenham for the first time. Wow. I mean, it's, that's a cathedral of rugby, that is. What, what a stadium that is. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Subscribe to the rugby channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Let's go through the back pages on your Sunday. This is the business post for sale, Chelsea football. A really good article on what's going on at Chelsea at the moment. So that's uh, something we're going to have a deep dive in. We have the Sunday Independent. Touch of class. Brilliant dog Benny strike lights up St. Henry game. Kenny urges players to follow Chidoze's lead, writes Aidan Fitzmaurice after the two-all draw between the Republic of Ireland and Belgium. We have the Sunday Times sports section. Friendly fire. Ogbené and Brown on target as Republic stretch unbeaten run to seven withdraw against Belgium and Kenny praises spectacular Ogbené for his efforts. That's the Sunday Times. We have the front page of the Sunday Independent. Keane demands apology from Fina Gale. So Robbie Keane's solicitor sent a legal letter to Fina Gale after the party issued a statement from one of its setters criticising his FAI salary. So Senator criticised Keane's salary. Hugh O'Connell writing this. Solicitors for the Republic of Ireland's record goal scorer understood to be seeking an apology and a retraction from Fina Gale over the statement made by Longford-based Senator Micheál Carragy about the 250000 a year salary Keane above. That's the photo of him receives from the FAI despite having no formal role within the organisation. We have Jonathan Wilson, uh, Inside Football. This is the back of the Observer, always a good read. Football in Russia is crashing and isolation will only hasten its decline. It seems unlikely that any but a handful of UEFA members would countenance games against Russian clubs, even if the ban imposed on them were lifted. And it is obviously pie in the sky that Russia are bidding for Euro 2028, a complete trolling job. We have the back of the Daily Mail. We believe, delighted Kenny says Ireland can be up there with the best after display of style and substance. Stephen Kenny always expresses the positives. Long way to go, revamp off to a tough start, but Ireland showing promise despite defeat by Wales. And Power's Wonder Week ends in the quarterfinals. Seamus Power, Masters bound and reaching the quarterfinals of the match play. What a fantastic story that is. We have the back of the sun on a Sunday. We did not want to race, so frightened Formula One drivers were unanimously against racing in today's Saudi Grand Prix. And they were only persuaded to carry on after lengthy talks with team bosses and Formula One chiefs. There are claims some felt bullied into competing in yesterday's qualifying, which was overshadowed by Haas ace Mick Schumacher's 170 miles an hour crash. How is this going ahead in Saudi Arabia this weekend for so many reasons? Flair of the Og, Kenny Hale, spectacular Chidoze. So Stephen Kenny Hale, Chidoze Benny for raising his game after Ireland twice came from behind against Belgium. And Ronaldo's five million wage cut, an exclusive Cristiano Ronaldo will be kissed goodbye to five million pounds because of Man United's season from hell doesn't say that he's leaving I wonder should he the Sunday Mirror back page Bale's shock Cardiff move for the World Cup so is he going to play for Cardiff City uh, to keep himself fit for the World Cup uh, Benny Thrill Show Kenny Joy after Jodo is a heroics and also Gunnar Sites and Rashford Arsenal will offer striker Marcus Rashford an escape route out of Old Trafford this summer Will he be staying at Old Trafford? Because every week it seems to be after Marcus Rashford um, plays as a statement on his Twitter or whatever. Um, it's just me being cynical. Uh, Golden Brownie, Alan Brown uh, with that equaliser. Uh, this is back of the Sunday World. Has Captain Coleman in a bullish mood for Ireland's future. Blue Doom, dubs have to top Monaghan and hope results go their way. And at the moment they're trailing by five points. Monaghan won seven, Dublin five points after 22 minutes in Clonus. Are the dubs going down? And also, great night to remember for Ireland. Paul McGrath's column and City and Poole are making it a cracking two-horse title race. John Aldridge. Timmy McCarthy, the former Irish basketball 
coach and player is on the line and Shane Keegan is with us in studio as well. Timmy, how are you? I'm good, John. Good to be here. Yeah, great to see you and hope you're enjoying the sun as well at the moment. Things seem to have taken a, a good change. Were you watching Ireland against Belgium with interest? Yeah, I was very impressed. I've been very impressed with Kenny since he's come in. I think that his philosophy uh, of how to play football is the right approach. But I think that um, Tommy Conlon, I thought, you know, sort of captured really what the, the slight nuance that has happened in the last number of months and that, you know, he's reverted a bit to the old style while keeping the new style. So I've been very impressed. And I just thought last night against Belgium, even though Belgium played a second string team compared to what they could have available, I thought we performed really well for a long periods in the game. There's some really good football. Could have won it, could have lost it. But overall, yeah, I thought it was a, a smashing performance. Yeah, Tommy Conlon, but the fight in heart and spirit that has been the foundation of Irish football's identity for so long will be an essential ingredient for the foreseeable future too, no matter how much more sophisticated they become technically and tactically. We'll talk about that in a moment. Let's just get an update actually from Clonus and Paul Finley for Modern and the Dubs. How's it going, Paul? Uh, from a Monaghan point of perspective, John, it's going really well. Uh, you know, it was Dublin who started the game the brighter. Uh, settled in, you know, with some fine scores. They went 4-1 up. Uh, but now as we look on, Dean Rock about to probably kick a ball over the bar from an easy enough free. You're looking at a scoreline of 1-7 to uh, Dublin 6 points. So just a brilliant, brilliant uh, atmosphere here in Clonus. Sun-drenched. Uh, Monaghan supporters having plenty to shout about. A brilliant goal after 10 minutes by... A debutant, a, a first league start for a young Sean Jones, and really got Monaghan supporters on their feet. And you know, it's still really it's, it's cagey. There's there's four points in it. Uh, you know, we're, we're set for a really good battle here, and you know that's that's what the supporters came to see. So, who's impressing you so far, Paul? Um, Dean Rock, Cormac Costello on the Dublin side have been quite good. Tom Lahifully has had to go off with an injury. He picked up an injury right from the throw-in, and Lee Gannon has replaced him. Um, Sean Jones, as I say. Brilliant goal. Jack McCarn finds himself back in the side after having an appendix operation some weeks ago. So he's had a really great start as well. And, you know, with Conor McManus not, not started today, you know, you could have said that Monaghan would have struggled for scores. But they've really had a great start. And, you know, from a Monaghan perspective, they'll be hoping to see can that, that continue. You feeling the edge there, Paula, because there's so much at stake here today? Certainly are, John. The, you know, the atmosphere, the crowd are really adding to it. You know, as I say, there must be 15,000, 16,000 in Clonus today, even being with Mother's Day. I think all the mummies are here uh, supporting <laughs> Monaghan. And, you know, we're certainly, uh, we're, we're treated to a brilliant tie. And uh, there's so much at stake, you know, there's a real championship feel. OK, Paul, thanks so much for the moment. So Monaghan won seven, Dublin six points in uh, Division One of the Football League. Elsewhere, we have other scores coming in. Uh, Kerry and Tyrone. We know that Kerry are in the football final already. This is a repeat of last year's semi-final. So it's Kerry 1-2, Tyrone three points. Donegal 1-4, Armagh three points. Mayo 1-2, Kildare four points. Shane Keegan, I haven't seen you in the studio here for about two years. It's been a while, all right, John. Hasn't it? A small matter of a pandemic. A small matter of a pandemic got in our way. I think it was in last month with Joe. Right? It was my first time back in a long, long time. So, uh, no, look, it's, it's it's always better to be here in person if you can at all. It, it adds to it a little bit, you know. Yeah, I had a Spurs program for you now, which I forgot. I didn't even know you were going to be in man. here. So, I'll have to, the next time I see you, I'll have good to man, give it to you. Jimmy man. Greaves. Um, la- yesterday, what have you picking out of the papers about yesterday? Yeah, well, I suppose there's slightly different takes on it, I suppose, where you look, some people feel it was a really, really strong performance and, and you know, a, um, a massive, massive plus. And then there's others that are saying it's not a million miles away from the kind of performance that we've had in previous years. But uh, the result dictates everything, John, doesn't it? It really, really does. And there's there's so much positivity away. I, I was at the game yesterday as a, as a supporter. Um, I won't give you any great 
tactical analysis of it now because I was at ground level where you can see nothing but that's where a, a seven year old wants to be so I was with him so but but the big thing for me was the performance was decent it was it was okay there was long periods where we were without the ball that's for sure but there is that and I know it's maybe a bit simplified but there is you just get such a vibe of a they're a real have a go team aren't they they're, they're absolutely going to give you every last bit at the moment they're going to put a smile on your face if you win or, or if they win or lose they are John that's a good way of putting it they will they will certainly try and play and and there's a how do the people feel you, got, you, you can always sense a vibe in a stadium how do the people yeah. feel leaving the stadium yesterday ah uh, listen brilliant brilliant I, I actually think as I say I had the young lad with me I actually think the most enjoyable part of the day for him was leaving because you know when you're coming out with a south stand and you have to go under the Lansdowne Road tunnel and the whole yeah. lot the sing song in the tunnel coming out of it to the other side like it's it's a long long time <laughs> since uh, Irish fans have had kind of that much boisterousness and that much kind of enthusiasm about them coming away from coming away from games and there was there was a real real sense of that almost festival feel I know some people might say we're getting carried away like the, the product and the performance is, is key to it all and would we have you know would there have been such a sing song or would there have been such kind of um, fun feel around the place if the game had finished 2-1 maybe not quite but at the same time it was it was going to be a decent performance either way and then the quality of the, the two goals as well um, were really really top notch and I, like you say it, it's it's all about vibe. It's all about feel at the moment for Stephen because he's he's he's. Some people are saying he's turned the corner. I wouldn't go as far as to say he's turned the corner. I think he's. I think he's still turning that corner. So he does need a couple. You know, if you had one or two bad results, all of a sudden, all the momentum that's been built up would be wiped away really, really quickly. And that's why, you know, a, a towering leap and header from Alan Brown, which was a superb, superb header yesterday, is is. You know, it's only the smallest of things that could have hit the crossbar and and come back off, come back out, and it's only a small, a minor difference in the to- in the totality of the game. But at the moment, Stephen is still in a position where the result is everything, and the fact that we came away with a good draw yesterday, um, I think it's 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 a huge, huge help to him, and it keeps the keeps the doubters, I suppose, in their in their place a little bit. They'll they'll be waiting for a, another game to see if they can fire. You know. It's a year to the day since Luxembourg, than a dear of that one mm. 0 defeat uh, to Luxembourg when we'd. Uh, an empty stadium. Um, in terms of the writing, anything else that's catching your eye on Ireland and uh, Belgium, Timmy? Yeah, well, well, the Tommy Collin one, as I said, I thought was really interesting. And he, he does make a contrast, actually, with yesterday's game and the upcoming game against um, Lithuania. And he makes the point that last night's match was a festive occasion. On Tuesday, to be back to the bread and butter type of game that Ireland have so often struggled to win in the past and which they need to start winning now, which develops Shane's point that you know, it, it is about results. Certainly, at this level, it, it is about results. My impression of Tommy Connors after the and and all the stuff that Stephen Kenny said in some of the quotes uh, after the game, you know, was about the pressure on and replying at times in, in the game. And it reminded me of the Jack Charlton era, you know, the famous saying from Charlton, "Put him under pressure." In one of those songs that came out at that point in time. So, you know, Kenny made a point after he went on to put pressure on, and then we, we when we did that, we, we look we look better in, in that sense. The other thing I thought Tommy Connors clarified really well was the heart and soul of Ireland you know he made a point he says once Ireland equalised it, it turned out Belgium themselves didn't have much to offer in the way of heart and soul so on one hand they have technical sophistication which is the envy of Stephen Kenny he, he argues and on the other hand Ireland have heart and soul which is the envy of uh, Martinez in, in that sense so I thought that was a very interesting um, way of looking at it because Look, when you look at, at the squad of players we have, we have limitations, you know, and you know we shouldn't run away with ourselves. We have, you know, limitations. But what I did think about last night, John, watching the game, you know, if 
if Grealish and Rice, you know, had, you know, stayed with Ireland, you know, how different this Irish team, even with the limitations that we have, would be looking today in the context of, of strength and depth from that point of view. And the other article that took my mind just on that was Mark Gallagher's one um, on the Mail and Sunday. And there was three things he talked about, really, that I, I picked up in the article. The impact of the crowd, you know, Shane described there with a seven-year-old walking through the tunnel uh, onto Lansdowne Road and, and, and the sing song. He talked about the impact of the crowd and the singing section he described of, of the crowd. He also criticised the booing of Thierry Henry, but, you know, watching the TV, I actually enjoyed that part of it, you know. You know, and then he made a point that you know about the past and the future. That you know, we sometimes look back with you know with, with rose-tinted glasses at, at the past and, and you know at different stages. And but he, he he argues that you know that there's a bright future. You know, ultimately you can know to will be qualified for championships. And you know, if you if you think of a country that goes qualified for championships, you know we have come to an expectation. And yet you look at a powerhouse like Italy going out to North Macedonia. So you know, to me the two. Actors Tommy Conlon and Mark Gallows summed up what I thought was was a good night for the Irish football team with the limitations that we had. Yeah, Mark's Mark's is very good because they, he he describes very well what it was to feel like a, a fan coming out through the through the gate yesterday. I suppose so it was so it, it wrapped it up very well. The 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 Grealish Rice one like in truth, Timmy, it, it like it's a nonsensical conversation for us to be having, but you can't get away from it like every time I see those two players you know you put your hand in your head and you think oh what could have been really what could have been because you've got a manager now who would really really play to those players strengths in a, in a, in a, in a huge huge way um, and it, it is it is kind of a, a frustrating one when you think about it. the other thing I'd say isn't it isn't it amazing how um, quickly Ogbeni has become such a kind of a, a token of this team and, and has become so so popular so quickly I mean, again, you're you're talking to me about the the limitations and the the level that these players are 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 coming into an international game from, and you know the comparison between what they're up against week in week out compared to what they come up against, even with a second string Belgium, what they come up against yesterday, um, and for Benet to rise to the occasion, you know, absolutely seamlessly, no bother to him whatsoever. He was outstanding yesterday again. My seven-year-old's gone out the door. He thinks he's better than Ronaldo and Messi and Mbappe rolled in one based on the kind of stuff that he that he did. Yes, it's amazing that they can ju- that he the players like that can can go, John, just from from that level to a performance at such a well, higher standard yesterday. Kenny spoke about him playing higher up the pitch because he's yeah. a wing back at Rotherham, and I think a key thing about all of these things is that they're playing regular first team football. Mm. Alan Brown the same. You've got to be playing regular first team football, and then you have a chance. Um, He's obviously representative of New Ireland. It's brilliant to see Ajadosi Agbene. And I think that Rotherham probably will get promoted. Well, maybe they're there or thereabouts, are they, to get promoted? You just feel a connection, I feel, between the public and the team. And Stewie Byrne was talking about it yesterday in the show and just speaking that maybe through everything everybody has been through, COVID and everything like that, we've just a better sense of our surroundings now and, and what's going on in the world and what we want out of a, out of a football team. We don't necessarily want to just get to a tournament for the sake of it and play a redundant football or football that is not going to inspire and there's a more social I think connection or I don't know if the socialism is the right right word but there's a connection between the humility of Kenny and um, the players you can identify with and the style of football people want to be entertained they want to get off their seat they want us to die on the battlefield as it were in terms of how we play the game because I think when you're picking up the papers and you're looking, I'm sure Timmy will touch upon it about Chelsea and all the owners and the Premier League and the money and the just the complete seepage of money in such a negative way in, in, into football, it, it, it just is getting to a stage now where people are turning off to it. 
Yeah, and and to me, there's two people that create that culture around the team and that that kind of that likability around the team for me is obviously Stephen, who you know I I think is brilliant and it, it, it's fantastic to see things kind of going his way. But again, the one thing because he had you know you could argue who's at fault for the first goal yesterday, John. Like Seamus Coleman, again, I can never speak highly enough of him. Do you know, like, it's again another sign of the kind of swing in momentum. Is I would say the, the stadium was still completely full fifteen minutes after the final whistle because Coleman went and collectively got all the players and says, "Right, lads, you know we're not celebrating that here, but we do need to thank everybody for coming. It's only a friendly, and we've got a huge, huge crowd in, and they weren't in a rush either. They slowly made their way all around the stadium, and everybody stayed. And as you passed by, you applauded them, and there was some proper salutes. of Benny, you could see, was as high as a kite. He was absolutely loving the occasion he'd had. Callum, Ro- Callum Robinson seemed in particularly good uh, spirits after the game as well, but." It, Coleman's that unifying force he makes sure that happens I don't know does that happen if he's not on the field do they just walk down the tunnel and you know it's only a small thing and it's not playing to the crowd either it's genuine you know it's genuine for Coleman it's not oh I want to be the, the big man I'm the captain well, you know, I want to show all the fans how you know how important they are to us it's just genuine he genuinely feels we need to get together here lads we need to we need to applaud the fans for the support they've given us today which I think is brilliant uh, John just just to, that, just to develop that point I think there's a great honesty about this team. You know, I just, it's the one word that, that strikes me always. You know, great teams have great honesty, and, and they, they, there's a great honesty about the, this team. They're not a great in the sense of talent, but there's a great honesty about them. And I thought Ogbeni's effort for the second goal yesterday was a sign of that because many players would have left the ball go from the right side. The ball was going over, yeah, and he just made an extra effort to keep the ball in. And I just thought to myself, that reflects the culture that obviously Stephen Kenny has built, and. Um, the, the point there about Seamus Coleman um, is a real you know key in, in essence his honesty with, with the players and John Egan also is another guy who has grown I believe in, in, in that but there's just a great honesty and I think you know whether you're watching club GA or whether you're watching you know club soccer or, or basketball or whatever sport you're watching if you're if you have an honest effort by people fans will accept will, will accept that and admire that if you get an honesty and, and I just think that what Kenny has done is that He's made, you know, uh, Tommy Collin made a point about the sum of the parts. He's made the sum of the parts better than, than than each individual part. And that's what a coach or a manager has to do. And I just think that, you know, you, you can achieve that if the culture's right within the group and if there's an honesty. And right now we look to have both of those in a good place. John, another another somewhat nonsensical conversation, but I can't I can't help but have it. The bane of 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 managers' lives and lots of people's lives. The famous player ratings. I just, I did have to laugh. You 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 open the window and you've got uh, James McLean with an eight in the Independent, and you look across at the Mail, and James McLean gets a six. And then what reminded me of it was Timmy talking about John Egan. You see in the Daily Mail, vice versa, John Egan gets an eight, and in the end, though, John Egan gets a six. I find they're, they're the most ridiculous things of all time. Sure, are they, they just, also get the players back up, I believe. Oh, they do. They definitely do. Yeah, you will. And the players will say they never read them, but they do. They do, of course, they do. They absolutely do. Like the least, the least you can ask for. Is a little table down the side telling us what six means, what seven means, what eight means. Oh, don't, like don't, what? Otherwise, it's just a random number. What does it mean in the keep as well? Because they're <laughs> they're notoriously um, stingy when it comes to good player player ratings. And on that, what were your player ratings? 
Ah uh, well, look, they both got the they both got the main run right. There's no doubt that Benny was 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 the best player on the field for us yesterday by by a long shot. Um, I was impressed with Josh Cullen. I, I'm continually impressed with with Josh Cullen. I think he's he's a he's a really really good bit of stuff. The disappointing one probably for me was was Matt Doherty, given that he's he's refound Why? our form for ourselves. I don't think he was. I mean, what what threat did he pose really? And you know, we're I was I was coming into that game yesterday. As a Spurs fan, who was delighted to see him regain his form and thinking, right, love to see, absolutely love to see a a, a big Matt Doherty performance here now today. And no, I'm not saying he was bad; like he wasn't, he wasn't bad, but he just he didn't grab the game in a manner that I was hoping that he would have grabbed the game, given that he's he, he's doing quite well for for us at the moment. Callum Robinson again, probably for, for a player who's been outstanding really for for Ireland in recent games, maybe he was a bit more peripheral than he had been. So I suppose the two pluses for me, uh, yeah, I'd go with with Cullen and and Ben. I'd be looking for a bit more from 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 Robinson and Doherty. Michael Foley in the Sunday Times talking about an admirable conviction, admirable conviction of the Irish uh, team. And but the margins against the elites remain fine for Ireland. The sloppiness in the concession of Belgium's second goal contrasted sharply with Ireland's bravery and the ball as the second half took shape. Hans Vanneken's header bouncing off Coleman to net with Kelleher helpless. The type of efficiency that'll keep Ireland at arm's length from the best for a while yet. And I think Tommy Conlon and Timmy put in as well in his article that. Lithuania we're expected to beat now on Tuesday and we had this issue with Luxembourg a year ago and Azerbaijan as well in the autumn that um, breaking teams down that are seen to be weaker than us is something that we still have I think a challenge it's improved obviously with all the goals we've been scoring in recent games but it's still a challenge because underdog is a, a role we play well but the opposite to that is something that I think we have to get better at under Kenny I think under Kenny, though, the, the fact that he's tried to play more football than we said previous managers may have, may have opted to do would give us a chance against some of the so-called weaker nations. But, you know, we've got to be conscious we're a weak nation as well at the best of times in that sense. So I do believe that the fact that we we play possession football, you know, helps us at times. But breaking teams down, you know, again, if you look at the, at the strength of our squad, we don't have that creative midfielder who's going to, you know, make that, you know, defence that he passed in, in that sense. We have, Ogbeni has pace, which is a big advantage for any, any forward in that sense. I mean, you talk about James McLean, he's honest. He's as honest as you get in that sense, but he's lost a little bit of pace in that sense. So I think when we come up against teams of our own standard and slightly weaker than us or slightly better than us, I think we, we're, we're better with the football now because of the way Stephen Kenny is trying to get us to play in that sense. But I still think we're lacking the quality consistently to break down those type of teams. Against the better teams, because they have more of the ball, like Belgium had just, okay, space gets created because they're obviously attacking more and, you know, and, and we're counter-attacking. Where against teams where we're not counter-attacking, where we have most of the ball, I think our lack of creativity hurts us at times. But we are scoring more goals and you know that's always a, 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 an important thing and it's for in, any team. It, but it, I do believe Lithuania will be just a different challenge. But, you know, seven wins or seven non-defeats in a row is a, is a very good landmark. But we're going to lose. That's going to happen. And it's then how we respond to the loss, both from a fan point of view and more importantly from a team point of view, will be the next test, I believe, for Stephen. And it's probably it's probably games against Lithuania that you're you're really really looking for your Callum Robinson to step up. He he for me his his appreciate when when defenses are tight and 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 the opposition are dropping back and and filling spaces around the edge of the eighteen yard box. To me, that's when he really comes into his own. I I just think his his football IQ is probably on a, a different level than most of the rest of what we've got in the final third of the field. I think I think his movement can be outstanding and can be the, the he can be the key player to unlock things. So it'd be interesting to see does he get another start because you'd imagine Stephen is probably going to mix it up a, a decent bit and make a few changes for for Tuesday night. But um. 
yeah, certainly for me, I, he's one I'd be I'd be keeping there. You know, he was a little bit below par, and we need to play him back into form because he's been so important for us. I think he could have a game choose good good game choose night if he's left there. Got to take a break here with the paper review. Shane Keegan and Timmy McCarthy on the line. Uh, Monaghan won seven, Dublin eight points as a half time from Clonus in the Allianz Football League. So Dublin on the verge of going down at the moment. What's going on in Cork and Shannon? Because Mayo bidding to reach the final. They're taking on Kildare with the latest as Colin Boyle. John, welcome to Cork and Shannon. Halftime score here. Mayo won 10. Kildare 12 points. It's Ryan O'Donoghue's goal that has Mayo in front at halftime. Um, very little to choose between the teams. An absolutely outrageous game of football. Some of the score taken and some of the quality, especially from the forwards up front for both teams, has been, has been absolutely brilliant. Um, Mayo had a serious injury to Brendan Harrison only two minutes into the game. He's stretchered off. Uh, Jim O'Connor has also gone off, so they are two big injury blows. Brendan Harrison looks very serious. Jim O'Connor was running out to a ball out to the sideline here and pulled up, so it might, might look like a hamstring injury. Mayo actually started with Aidan O'Shea at centre forward. Michael Plunkett came in for Connor Loftus, and Oshie Mullins moved to centre back to pick up Ben McCormack. But it's Ben McCormack that's probably been the standout player so far in the game. He's kicked four points from play. One, bit, one better than the other, and to be honest, he, he's been involved in an awful lot of what good of what Kildare have done. Since I was last with you, Kildare hit four points on the on the trash, two from McCormack and two from Paul Cribben to push them in front. Since then, Mayo hit back with points from uh, Maddie Rowan and Porak O'Hora. There was a very interesting, interesting uh, scenario after Porak O'Hora scored the point. He was running back into his position, and himself and Paddy Woodgate actually seemed to have a minor altercation. Paddy Woodgate went down holding his face. The referee actually gave Paddy Woodgate a yellow card for feigning an injury, which is the first time I've ever seen that on a, on, a, on a Gaelic football pitch. So, very interesting game. This game can go either way. Mayo had two clear goal chances besides the one they take uh, with James Carr and Jason Doherty. 1-7 from play from the Mayo for line after so much talk about the about the problems up front in the last two games. So, all in all, it's very, very, um, very hard to call which way this game is going to go. Very little grease to talk about and all to play for in the second half. Okay, Colin Boyle, Mayo on the verge of reaching that league final at the moment, but it could change. Uh, Ross Common are going to be in the Division 2 league final against Galway because they lead them by 11 points to 4 if things stay that way. And at the moment, in the big game in relegation terms in that one, Cork won 7, awfully 6 points at the moment in uh, Tullamore. So that's what's going on. Uh, the Football Leagues will have you right up to date with those scores and the hurling uh, semi-final as well between Wexford and Waterford. That throws in a 3.45. John Duggan with you through until 7, sitting in for Joe Malloy this afternoon. Hope you're enjoying the sun, folks. Uh, we're continuing the Sunday paper review with the wafer pro license coach Shane Keegan in the studio here and the former Irish basketball team captain and coach Timmy McCarthy who's on the line as well as listening on News Talk now you can watch us on the digital and social channels for Periscope on Twitter at Off The Ball YouTube, Facebook and on the OTB Sports app if you've got a question or a comment you can text us on 53106 so we've spoken about the Republic of Ireland and Belgium I felt the best article in the papers today, Shane, was Paul Kimmage's interview with Jason McAteer. I don't know if you agree, but I, I really enjoyed it. I do, 100%, John, yeah. Um, I look, you know, Paul, I suppose the piece, you, you, pay, I, you go to the Sunday Indo on a Sunday hoping you're going to get one of these pieces from Paul, to be honest with you. I, I love them, the, 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 the three or even four pages as they tend to, to be sometimes. Um, and I love the Q&A style of them. I, I like the, I love conversation and I, I just like that allows the flow of a conversation. And it's really, really enjoyable. Obviously, he goes in a, in a few different directions with it. I think the first um, interesting part from it is the bit of insight that we get into Jurgen Klopp. Um, 
he he gives us a couple of a bit of an eye into 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 the kind of person that he is um he talks about uh their cameraman Ricky at at Liverpool TV and how you can understand you know Kimmich I suppose is pushing McAteer on uh what sort of relationship have you got with Klopp you know how does he, how do you think he sees you and and McAteer is telling us that you know he he's probably a little bit wary of me because I'm a media man now to a certain extent um but that he's willing to let his guard down with others that aren't seen as media men and that he he likes to have a point with the cameraman Ricky who was a bit of a scallywag he tells us and then also fills us in that Jamie Webster who writes a lot of the very popular Liverpool songs that he likes to go for for, for points with him and that and you know it's interesting that a, a guy like Klopp will not don't get me wrong not lower themselves or anything but uh, he does he is very much a, a people's person the common man touch, yeah, touch he is. the common, the common man, man is, is, is a good way of putting it now the only thing I'd say is the other line that I found very interesting in that whole part was uh, McAteer says and maybe he doesn't mean it in the way I'm picking it up here but McAteer says here at one stage Jürgen knows what he wants and he plays a very good game of portraying what he wants people to see and uh, I thought that was a little bit of a slight. I sensed the slight bit of tetchiness there. Like he portrays himself in 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 a certain way. Does that mean that J- that Jason doesn't fully believe that he's? Oh, we don't know that. Hundred percent authentic. No, no, we don't. But it, I I just found that an interesting remark. And maybe that's maybe because he keeps him at at, at arm's length a little bit. But um, no, that that was the first bit that that struck me. That the, the bit of insight that we got towards uh towards Klopp, who is obviously I know we're going to talk about a bit more maybe on 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 Eamon Sweeney's piece, but. He's a guy that's it's almost impossible to dislike, really. Um, what did you think on it, Timmy? Yeah, I thought it was a great piece. I actually thought it was a great piece. And, and, and like Shane, I just thought, you know, that he took us in, diff- in different directions. So if I just pick up the direction that Shane was talking about first, about the Jürgen Klopp relationship. I actually picked up the point um, that, that you just mentioned there, Shane, about, you know, um, he wants people, what he wants people to see. But it was the last section that he said, he's very driven. Cross him and you're out. Mm. But if you're with him, you get everything. I just thought that was a very insightful comment by McAteer. So mm. that's based on something. We don't know what it's based on, obviously, John, but it's based on something. The other thing I thought was was, was really a great insight into top was when they lost to Seville, Seville in 2016 Europe League final. Um, the, the after uh, match party and, you know, the speech he gave, he described it as like out of gladiator or, or Braveheart. And, you know, that this, this is where it starts. We have to feel this now. And it's a feeling we... Um, never want again. I don't want anyone sitting here thinking, "What if we build from here?" So, even after the defeat back then, you know, Top was, you know, was very clear where he wanted to take this level with him, and obviously, he's been very successful in, in periods in, in, since that period in time. But so, I thought McAteer in, in that just gave us a little insight into the fact that you know his view of Jorgen Top is, you know, slightly different than maybe what would be the, the perceived view, but. Um, then the rest of the article I just told him. I to me, John, the part I loved, right, was when he became a pro, okay? And you know, like buying this car, you know, he, he bought a Lotus Elan mm. in racing green with a black roof, right? And he was called in by the manager group three up and told, you know, um the dealer's waiting for you to take back the car and give your check back, right? And you know, buy yourself and he bought a course, I think, at the point in time. And then when he bought um a a leather coat that his mother you know, wasn't happy with because they came from humble background and just how, you know, when you're exposed to all this money, how he just lost the run of himself for a period of time. But the thing that's really jumped off the page for me in this, and I come back to the Roy Keane section at the end of it, but he was never in Ireland until he came to play his first match. Now, I thought that was scary. 
I really thought that was scary. He described then the fact that, you know, when he, he was nervous arriving in, um, and that Mick Bourne, you know, the physio gave him a great big hug and settled down. But I just thought the, the prelude of that was when Jimmy Armfield actually turned up and asked him to play for England B. And he asked Bruce um, about it, Bruce Rea, and he said, you know, like, what do you think? And my grandfather's Irish and I have a Welsh connection. And Bruce said to him, notify the FBI. And the next day, Charlton was on to him saying, you know, you know, we have a game against Russia. And that was it. So the fact he'd never been in Ireland ever, you know, before he made his, um, before he came to his first game, I thought was, was scary. But the fact that also it was as fickle as, you know, if he had a different manager who had more than any sort England or Wales, he may not have played for Ireland. So it does show behind the scenes when there's people who have eligibility to parentage and grandparents, uh, etc., and family um, eligibility, it is fickle where they end up playing. And in, in, in this case, obviously, McAteer chose Ireland and had a very yeah. successful career. It's interesting. it's interesting that because Jason McAteer, who I know, and I think he's a great fella, is as Irish as he can get now. He is as Irish as he can get. And he, like every single day, I think, is about those great days scoring against Holland, uh, linking up with the lads when they played with under Jack and playing at the World Cup. And he, he really is, he's proud of his Irishness, as it were now. And it, that's interesting, John, because um, actually probably the person who springs to mind most, I'm trying to think of people who talk about, you know, a player has to be Irish, has to feel Irish, or they shouldn't be pulling on an Irish jersey. Probably the person who springs to mind the most for making comments like that is probably Kevin Kilban, actually, who obviously would be in around here a lot. And, you know, Kevin would, have, would often say that, you know, they have to want to be Irish, they have to. But as you say, quite often that comes after the fact. Like, Jason McTeer probably wasn't a, absolutely wasn't a, a, a ole ole person before he pulled on an Irish jersey. He found his Irishness after that jersey came, by, by certainly by the sounds of things. So I don't necessarily agree that it has to pre-exist, that it has to be there. I, I think we've had a lot of players who've, who've gone on to represent Ireland superbly, who probably didn't feel any major affiliation to Ireland before they pulled on their, their Ireland jersey. Well, you know, the biggest example of that is is Jack Charlton. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. But the World Cup winner yeah. mightn't have got the job, got the job, and then it just took off. Yeah, look, on Timmy's... That says a, a lot about us positively as a nation. Ah, yeah. And I think the rugby players as well, like CJ Stander would feel, I'd say, pretty Irish now. Um, Bully yeah, there is There is something about putting on the jersey and then the... I know at times we can be critical, maybe more critical in the media and, and in, on the street than we are when we're at the games. But there is a sense, there's still a good sense of, of being an Irish international in any sphere. On, on Timmy's point, like the meteoric rise is just incredible. Like when it's laid out and you're there in front of you in the way well, that... It was quick. And, oh. and, and as he spoke about it in the piece, that it's almost like... It, it's the innocence of youth and you just get on with it and you don't have time to think about it. When you have time to think about it and he spoke, so I'm just going to quote here. There's, there's, there's two separate meteoric rises. There's the meteoric rise from a non-league player to playing for Liverpool and then there's also the meteoric rise from being you know, a non-international and probably never even thought you'd ever become an international to three months after his debut, is it? That he says he's, he's turning Maldini inside, <laughs> turning yeah. Maldini inside out at the World Cup. Just quotes here. And also, we had a panel yesterday about retirement and the difficulties of retirement and how to cope with sporting retirement and preparing for it. And sometimes it's obviously with Ashley Barty retired, she's decided she's kind of worked it out in her head. But for a lot of 
as professional sports people, they, they, they don't, or even amateur sports people, they don't get to make the choice through injury or through lack of selection. And just talking about like uh, retiring and depression, depressions, when you look back at it now, you think, how did that happen? How did the F did it get like that? But when you're in it, you don't know you're in it. You make random silly decisions. Your thought process is emotional rather than logical. I lost direction. I'd lost a support network. I'd lost a relationship. It's a sense of purpose. You got to have a sense of purpose. It started grinding on me again when I stopped working and traveling during COVID. So that sense of purpose and it's quite honest from Jason. It's very, very good. Yeah, it's very good because like Paul asks, the que- Paul can just ask the question that anybody outside of the bubble must be asking, like, which is, but you must have seen it coming. You know it's going to end. And yet time and time and time again, we hear that they, that footballers genuinely do not consider it until the moment that that day arrives, which is... It's a failing in the clubs. I don't know, has it improved much since since Jason's day? It'd be interesting to ask current footballers, is there much being done at the clubs to highlight the fact that, lads, you realise you're going to, to retire at some stage? Now, look, the, the top, top ones will have made enough, so they will. But even the ones, like, as Jason has said here, it's not necessarily a money thing um, that, that brings on the depression. But that there's not more been done. Like, I look at... Um, I heard Billy Walsh talk before about, you know, the Olympic cycle and the amount of work that the Olympic Committee are doing now to deal with people about after the Olympics, regardless of whether they were successful or not successful. That huge come down after an Olympic cycle. And they're doing a huge amount of work to help people deal with that. Like, I'd like to think Premier League clubs, they weren't obviously in Jason's day, but I'd like to think they're now at a stage where they're talking to players about, okay, lads, you realise, you know, if you're in your mid-20s, you're 10 years, probably most, away from retirement here, have you started to think about it rather than just letting them bury their heads in the sand? Like, you know, I I suppose maybe there's a thing that the managers themselves, you know, are thinking, well, I just want them concentrating on football and I don't need them starting to worry about what's, what's 10 years ahead and maybe there's some excuse there, but in proper clubs where there's proper support structures, you know, you have to get people around and say, right, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Like, at League of Ireland level, John, I'm always... And there are, it is slowly changing. There's a couple of good examples. Um, during my time at Dundalk, now Andy Boyle, who's, who's a fantastic centre-half for Dundalk, he, he went back to, to college and I think he was doing accountancy exams, um, stuff like that. And there are a few more Greg Sloggett. Some guys got their education before, the likes of a, a Greg Sloggett um, and that. But, like, the, your training day is very very short you've got the hours there you know use those hours to start to create something for you be it education be it a business be it media use those hours to start to create something for you that's going to exist after retirement day comes there's a workaholism to it there's an obsession to it and if there's no balance and if there's no thing to replace the void then you can run into difficulties as Nilo Tool said yesterday in the panel sports stars become a commodity they're just a commodity and I think there's a lot of focus on it with younger players, say, getting released mm. or not making it mm. and the difficulties they might have and the challenges they might ha- have. But also, just because, you, as you say, you earn significant amounts doesn't mean you can't uh, be challenged by issues when it's suddenly over. Yeah, well, you read out his quote there and the key line in that quote for me was the, it's a sense of purpose. I, I, I completely get that. I completely get that. You know, like, I'd be an awful man maybe from, you know, next project next project next project but that's because I, I would always need something there needs to be something that gets you out of bed and, and drives you if that makes sense and I suppose for you know thankfully I I, I've, I I don't have to deal with the highs that Jace McAdear has had but imagine you know imagine the, the sense of purpose that existed when you're at that sort that's of a high it's a huge thing as well the high like if you're playing at Anfield and you're from the area and you're 
putting the crosses in for Cottymore <laughs> and you've the cop and uh, that must be a high that is just we can't imagine yeah, uh, 100%. It wouldn't be an article uh, with Jason McAteer that Paul Kimmage has done uh, to me McCarthy without reference to Roy Keane. Yeah, and just to finish, just to make one observation uh, before I get to the Keane one, is uh, the Mersey Tunnel uh, uh, section of it. I thought you were talking about his retirement and he just talked about, it's like it, it, it switched the, uh, the day you finished going off. You go home, there's nothing there. Um, your friends are not there and it's very, very difficult. And he suffered a bad bout of depression. And he says he remembers one particular time when I was driving through the Mersey Tunnel to see Harry, his son, and pick him up from school. And I thought I could end it all now. I could throw this car over and absolutely quit and everything. And that really is, you know, is, I suppose, a great demonstration of the highs of Anfield one day, you know, putting crosses in, as you say, and and a local boy becoming good in in that world. And then, you know, you're yesterday's man and and, and the world moves on. The keen piece I thought was fascinating. First of all, they, the story about you know the game against Norway in 2004 and, and um, mm. the you know the Viking had and the girl and basically he, message coming down the, the the line and he was to give it to Keane and and what I loved about it was his honesty he's embellished it over the years obviously I'm not sure he said to Keane but um, he didn't pass on the messages that and Andy Townsend had asked him to pass on but he has embellished it and he he can laugh at it but what was fascinating is. Like, first of all, Keane himself have no relationship at all. Like, I mean, they, I mean basically Keane doesn't even acknowledge him. It seems to be w- w- what he called out. Um, and he talked about, you know, Saipan. He talked about, you know, he gave his view of it from that point of view. But he was very open about how good Keane was as a player. I mean, that 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 jumped off his admiration. Like, he said, you know, um, this fella is brilliant. You know, he, he always seemed to be around. You give it away, he'd win it back to you. He was brilliant. But he was different. And he actually compared me. He said he was different than most others. When we were doing things like the Late Late Show and Zig and Zag and other stuff, you know, he was very different than, than that. He had no interest in, in that. And um, so it was a, it was a sort of love-hate relationship would, would be my take on, on his relationship with Keane, that basically he loved him as a soccer player. And, you know, you talk about, the, I suppose, Jason McIntyre's most famous goal against Holland and the accolades that Keane got for his performance in that particular game. So he loved Keane as a player. Um, but he obviously, you know, himself and Keane don't get on. And I think it's sad that now, you know, they're in restaurants and, you know, I walked past him twice and he said he didn't lift his head and didn't bat an eyelid. I was on the plane, I waved at him and he just, you know, you know, stood there. I held the door for him at Wembley, he just said thanks. So that love-hate relationship comes out very clearly in this, that he loved him as a player and they just don't get on as individuals, which is, you know, it's just sad to see two former internationals who just at this stage, you know, don't get on. It's live, isn't it? We've got to break away. Uh, Paul Finley, Monaghan, Dublin. There's been a goal. Yeah, another goal for Monaghan, John. Uh, brilliantly struck penalty from Jack McCarran. Gary Mohan, the ever-present, uh, you know, big, wily, big six-foot-tall foot forward, causing Dublin all sorts of problems and was hauled down in the box. And, and Jack McCarran duly put it away. So a brilliant start to the second half for Monaghan. Dublin, after knocking on the last two scores, it's currently Monaghan 2-9, Dublin 10 points. So Monaghan's still in a good position, but a long, long way to go. Thanks so much, Paul. And Dublin at the moment are going down. Uh, Donegal won 11, Armagh won 6 is the latest. Mayo leading 112 to 13 points against Kildare. So Mayo set uh, for the final against uh, Kerry. Kerry won 6 to 10 points is the latest. Monaghan to uh, 
9 Dublin 10 points as uh, Paul was filling you in there in football in Division 2 Roscommon won 14 Galway 6 so that'll be a final between both counties in the West Offaly won 7 Cork won 10 or Cork going to survive Meath won 7 Derry 7 points and down 5 points Clare 2-5 and in Division 3 Antrim 8 points Westmead 4 Leash won 5 Longford won 10 Limerick won 8 Fermanagh 8 points and Wicklow 7 points Loud won 6 is set for a Loud and Limerick final it seems in Division 3 and in Division 4 Sligo 2-16 Leitrim 2 10. Anything to finish on the McAteer? Yeah, again, I, I agree with Timmy. Just, you know, yeah, I don't think there will eventually, I'm sure, come a stage where you can get a stick of reading or hearing about Roy Keane, but I, I personally haven't reached it yet. Um, look, I suppose the couple of bits that would jump out from me are Roy was wired in a different way, is is, is the way the McAteer says it, and, and there's no doubt that, that that's for sure. I think we, we know Roy is wired in a different way to, to a lot of people. I don't know if I'd agree with he he says I always felt he was a bit jealous of our stardom by the hour he means him you know this three amigos thing that himself and, and Bab and, and I don't Gary think Roy Keane needed to be to be honest did he exactly like Roy I can't, I can't imagine Roy Keane be jealous of people's stardom if Roy wanted to stardom all he needed to do was open his mouth and he'd, he'd be ten times which, which is still the case today in 2022 absolutely when he, he turn on the TV 100% and that one about the, the, the row in the uh, in the nightclub again I don't know if I'd agree with Jason Babsy was going to fill him in which I think is a a phrase they use for he might, for, he might win the fight yeah not a hope <laughs> not a hope in hell I wouldn't have thought um, so yeah it's it's a it's a it's a you know there's no doubt it's a, a tetchy relationship and it's a tetchy relationship because Roy chooses it to be a t- I mean here's an interesting one for you that got me thinking as well like what do you think Roy Keane is thinking if he picks up this article and reads it today like I, I think Roy Keane's overriding emotion if he reads this today is like you know why is that clown talking about me again like that's that's I think that's the way he would look at it. and that's the way he looks at it I, I would imagine with, with most of them when they're talking about him but we, it's impossible not to we we don't know that but uh, what I do know is I what does Roy King is Roy King really bothered yeah yeah probably not the, but probably the most insightful part um, Timmy I thought from it was was the bit that he tells us about when he when he walked out of the room um, I don't know if I'd, I'd heard that bit before that that uh, so Roy has has stormed out of the room after the row with Mick and then Dean Kiley sticks his hand up and says uh I want to say something, Mick. If if you want, uh, if you want, I can do a job for you in midfield. Obviously, you know, just trying to break the atmosphere, break the, the tension, and have a bit of crack. And everybody laughs. And to this day, I'm convinced that Roy heard that laughter, and that's the nail in the coffin. That's the moment he's not coming back because that's humiliation. That was, you know, that was those definitely. Like, I think he said, there's so many versions of what happened, and like, like he'll know the truth. I think it's been. <sighs> Like ultimately, the truth is that Roy was sent home by Mick, and that's it, really, isn't it? But um, John, the one, John, just the one thing that I did, I, I couldn't let the piece go without saying this. And um, he talked about Peter and Keller, obviously, and and, and his his liver. That's the, the end of the article, right? Um, so as a Corkman and Buddha, a Roy Keane fan, I was really hurt by his last line. So when <laughs> um, Paul came and said to him, so finally a Corkman you can love. Because I thought, Johnny, all of you love Cork people. And I didn't realise that. Because um, I thought we were the most humble and modest people in the country until I left Cork and lived elsewhere and found out that we're not, we're not liked by many. And then he says, yeah, but they're a bit funny down there, aren't they? So I can just tell you as a Corkman, we're not funny down there. We just believe our own propaganda. John Duggan sitting in for Joe Malloy until seven. Uh, we got the Sunday paper review with uh, Shane Keegan, the UEFA Pro Licence coach in studio with me and the former Irish basketball team captain and coach Timmy McCarthy on the line. You can listen on News Talk and also watch us on the digital and social channels for Periscope and Twitter at Off The Ball, YouTube, Facebook and on the OTP Sports app. But before we just go through the remainder of the papers this Sunday afternoon, I hope you're enjoying the sun. Dublin are going down at the moment. Dublin, six-time All-Ireland winners in a row. 
are trailing Monaghan 310 to 14 points in Clonus 56 minutes on the watch both teams down to 14 men and at the moment Kildare are going down with Dublin because Kildare are trailing Mayo in Cork and Shannon by 215 to 17 points Mayo set for the league final against Kerry Kerry already through it's Kerry 27 Tyrone 111 it is Donegal 112 Armagh 19 and Donegal have just missed a penalty Roscommon will play Galway in the Division 2 decider Roscommon leading Galway at the moment at 115 to 8 points Cork are leading Offaly 113 to 18 so Offaly set to be relegated Mead 17 Derry 8 points is the latest score Clare 27 down 6 points in Division 3, Longford going great guns against Leash might survive now. 2-11 to 1-6 they lead. Antrim 10 points, Westmead 5. Wicklow 8 points, Louth 1-7. And Limerick 1-8 for Manor 7 points. So Louth and Limerick said to be promoted from Division 3. A lot going on. In Gaelic Games, also have Wexford against Waterford at 3.45 in the Hurling semi-final to see who'll join Cork in the decider. Timmy McCarthy, I thought it was a great article in the Business Post about Chelsea, your beloved Chelsea. And who's going to buy them? Do you care who buys them? Not really. Not <laughs> really, to be honest. Um, John, I've been supporting Chelsea all my life. And uh, when Bramwich came in, I didn't know who he was. I just knew that um, he was a guy who was going to invest some money. Uh, obviously, this article you know, tells his life story in, in, a very, in, in the first section of it, in, in that sense. And he's invested heavily into Chelsea, and Chelsea have, have reaped the rewards. So, you know, as a fan... You know, as a fan of Chelsea, you know, I want Chelsea to be successful. You know, that's really what it, what, what it is. And, you know, I mean, when you look at the ownerships of, of a lot of clubs, you know, not just in England, but around the world, you, there could be question marks over and over. Did you detach yourself, so, Timmy, from the um, those kind of questions when you were a fan? Like, did you find that I'm escaping here, I'm watching sport, I'm watching my club that I love, I don't really, I'm not going to get bogged down in my thoughts around who owns the club and what the issues could be? Absolutely, because when I, I, mean, I watched Chelsea when they, you know, um, when they were in the in the old first division, you know, the I think I may have said this before, John. The reason I followed Chelsea is because George Best. So when I was in Cork in the in the late sixties, we had only the FA Cup final, the European Cup final, the European Cup Winners Cup final, and then the Fairs Cup. So that's all we see in television. We didn't have BBC uh, in Cork in those days. So you know, United won the uh, European Cup in nineteen sixty eight, and. You know, I, I was a seven-year-old kid, so the next time I remember seeing a team win was Chelsea won the FA Cup, and both teams won Navy Blue. So that's how I followed Chelsea. I thought this team in Navy Blue always won, so I just followed Chelsea. <laughs> and I had, had many years of obviously a uh, reverse. I mean, I can remember you know listening on radio and um, all the old radio, BBC Radio Two, to them getting a last-minute goal to avoid going to the Division Three at that point, and would have win a one-nil win against Grimsby. So I've been a Chelsea fan all my life, and when when Abramovich came in. You know, as I said, his background, you know, meant nothing to me in that sense. I just want to be a fan who want to go and watch games. Obviously, I want, you know, the, the team to have the best players and, you know, the, the best stadium and, you know, and, and win the titles and, you know, or compete for the titles in, in that sense with a, with, with, with a nice footballing style in that sense. So, no, and, you know, I mean, now it looks like it's one of one of the two American consortiums are going to get this and, you know, there's different views on, on both consortiums. So, so as a fan, John, I just want to see football and I want to see it, you know, and that's why I feel sorry for Thomas Tuchel and, you know, Eddie Howe when they're answering questions about political stuff, you know. I mean, what's happening in Ukraine is disgraceful and it's it's so sad for, for the people of Ukraine and, you know, and the devastation that's going on. And, you know, so the sanctions against Obramovich, you know, are, are correct in my view because obviously if he's linked to the Kremlin, then he has to be sanctioned. That does, that's not an issue. But who owns Chelsea? John, you know, I was a season ticket over there for four years and went across my two sons. 
David and Brian every two weeks for four years. So um saw them in the first league in 50 years, you know, and the Marino early days. No. I mean, I know both of your sports fans, you know, do you really con- concern who 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 owns the club? I just think that as a fan, you want your team to be the most competitive, have the best players, and be, you know, try and win trophies. And, you know, in the Bramage areas, Chelsea have done that. But we had many years before that that we didn't have to win any trophies. Do you care? No, no, no. I'm with him 100%. I would have, uh, yeah, if I was a if I was a Chelsea fan over the last decade, I would have been um, asking very very few questions and just enjoying the enjoying the ride. If I'm perfectly honest, and that look that probably doesn't overly fl- reflect well on me or or well on Timmy or well on well on any of us that are 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 reasonably happy to bury our heads in the sand on it. But you know, there well, has I, th- to be I think what you're both saying is sport is escape. Yeah, it is. It is, John. It is. There's there's so much going on that you know it, it's. If it if it impinges on our on our enjoyment of sport as well, like what have you what have you got left to enjoy? Um, oh, look, it it it. When and it, look, we all want to be we all want to be experiencing those kind of highs of of getting there. And let's be honest, it is absolutely impossible to break into the top four, top five in the Premier League unless you've got huge money. And huge money comes from somebody who almost inevitably has questions as to how he got his huge money. Global Super League is what it is. Eamon Sweeney in the Sunday Independent today. The club owners also represent two entirely different worldviews. This is Liverpool and City. We're going to battle it out now for three trophies. Uh, the Fenway Group, which owns Liverpool, also own the Boston Red Sox. They're sports people as opposed to Sheikh Mansour, who is a sports washer. City fans don't care where the money comes from. Liverpool fans believe the club should represent the values of its community. I don't know if it's as cut and dried as that, personally. Uh, these contrasts, I add, uh, add another layer of intrigue to a battle between the best two managers in the world, Guardiola possibly possessing the slide edge, but Klopp will have the support of most neutrals. A big battle looms between darkness and light. We need Liverpool to win it. I think that the horse is completely bolted when it comes to money in football I'm going through the mail here and it does like uh, Nick Harris who's brilliant um, only 4% of United fans support owners the Glazers while City Chiefs are the most damaging for football it kind of has views of, of the fans and of their approval rating of the owners Brentford at top at 98% and Man United with 4% but um, the horse has bolted uh, yeah I, I think it's completely beyond the control of Liverpool because they could have had Gillette and Hicks running the shop um, who owns them and it's just the fact that the Fenway group seem to be um, bought into a, a good sports franchise, I think is almost just a, a, a matter of coincidence and luck for Liverpool. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, look it, it's absolutely brilliant that, first and foremost, it's absolutely brilliant that there's somewhat of a Premier League title race back on, right? But there is no way, as, as a person who doesn't support either Liverpool or, or Manchester City, I'm just going to enjoy that title race. I'd love to see it go all the way to the last day, something like the great Aguero moment we had had in the past. But there's no way, when it comes to the finish line there, as to which of the two of them is going to win the title, I'm going to be cheering on one over the other based on where their money came from. It's just, it's not going to be something that's going to come into my head. I'm going to enjoy the football battle between two managers who I adore for different reasons one I, his style of football Pep's just phenomenal Klopp's ability to create camaraderie and togetherness and uh, the high intensity style of their play again I just uh, I love watching both sides play I love both managers and what they bring to the game and trying to learn from them and and like when we get you know when it comes to the to, to those final games and which one of them gets over the line and City have that that head start I'm not going to be choosing Liverpool and Klopp over City based on, on where the money I might choose them based on other factors but that's not going to be the one for me I'm afraid John and John on that point you know if we go down the line of asking where the money comes from 
where does that stop them? You know, where does that ultimately stop in the context of, of, of sport in, in reality? Because we have no idea, you know, a, a shame in a point. But maybe, maybe, maybe that we do need to start asking. Maybe our eyes have been opened by what's happened to you in Ukraine. Maybe our eyes have been opened and maybe our life's changed since COVID kicked in. And Timmy, and uh, may, maybe these questions should have been asked 20 years ago of Abramovich. It's almost in the article. It's like we didn't even know this guy was, but obviously he's spent all this money to take over Chelsea. And we're going to take the money. Well, well, he spent 140 million, which you know, look, looking back at it, wasn't he's invested obviously, you know, billions over time in that sense. But you know, it's just, I mean, you know, his predecessor, Ken Bates, you know, so Ken Bates just had less money, but we don't know what Ken Bates was involved in. In reality, in that sense, you know, when Bramish took over at Chelsea, he was obviously involved in, in this uh, Sibneft, you know, um, uh, energy company, and obviously Boris Yeltsin was the person who, who granted him that. You know, we just know what happened at the end of the Soviet Union. I'm just saying, John, we just have to be careful when we put morals on to, at the very top of sport because, you know, we didn't have to be consistent then. And, and one of the things I, I think is interesting in, in the three articles you mentioned, you know, we have to have a consistency then about, you know, so if, if Abramovich is, is bad news, and again, let me repeat, you know, the Ukrainian situation is appalling for the people in Ukraine, is a disgrace that the Russians have done what they've done. So I'm very clear where I stand on that. And if Abramovich, you know... It, his sanction is correct. I fully support that. So I have no issue with that type of political stuff. But in the context of, of sport, we just have to have a consistency because, you know, like, so for example, like Pep Guardiola has never been asked about the ownership of, of Man City in reality to the same way Eddie Howe has been asked, you know, since, since he's taken over Newcastle. Okay. Maybe because of, of Pep's reputation. So I just think we have to be careful in that sense. But the reality is sport needs money. The 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 NBA, the NFL, you know, baseball—they're all owned by owners. It needs money. Sport needs money to be put in by people at the top veterans of it. And us as fans, okay, want to see our team perform on on the field in that sense. So maybe there should be more questions about Abramovich. But then, if you take that line, because in 1991, the article on the business um, post talks about you know there was a blueprint for the future of football and the back to creation of the Premier League and you know, and rules coming in that sense. Maybe other owners should be stopped coming in, you know, or there should be more questions about them. But I do agree with you, John. The horse has bolted. You know, you can't be successful in top-level sport, in any sport, unless you have money behind you. That's just the reality of, of what sport is from the point of view of salaries, etc. And I just think that it's, you know, the article summed up where, where you know, where Abramish came from, the sanctions, and now it goes on to talk about you know, the, the LA Dodgers owner and the Chicago Cubs owner as the two sort of consortiums. And there'll be question marks. I mean, Ricketts, the Chicago Cubs owner, has been questioned about some um, comments he made about Islam and, you know, in a negative way. So there'll be, but like humans will, will make comments. So there'll be questions about every owner, I, I believe, going forward. But the horse has bought it. But one thing about Amos Winnie's article, I did think was a very interesting line, which I don't necessarily agree with. He says it is impossible to imagine top of city manager as it is to imagine Guardiola taking the reins in Anfield. I don't believe that. I think if, you know, if Guardiola hadn't gone to City and Klopp got the opportunity and wanted to go, he'd have went to City. I just think that, you know, the, the, the top managers, you know, I mean, I, when Mourinho came to Chelsea, John, did I think a number of years later, even though a great friend of mine, Conrad Dunham from Cork, said, you know, that Mourinho would manage United in the future. I, I laughed at him, but he did. So, you know, managers will go where, where they believe they have the best chance of success. But as regards the ownership, it's about, you know, who's going to, you know, put the most money in. If you take any team, in, in, in any set of fans in general, 
in the uh, in the English football leagues or even in the League of Ireland, okay, for example. Right? And a big investor came in who was going to help the team progress, develop, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Would the fans be delighted? They probably would if they're on the stream. Yeah, I think that the Premier League is the organisation that deserves the most questions posed because they've allowed a wild west to develop in football and the British government, the moment uh, the European Super League became a possibility, they said, oh, we'll bring all this legislation in and we'll make sure it doesn't happen. And it's governments and it's organisations like the Premier League that have the power to curb um, the influence or the entry, as it were, of people into their sport. Um, that they feel might not fit in inverted commas the fit and proper person test and that is why you have this Wild West situation and a global league and it's I, I do think it's quite soulless to see Saudi Arabia laundering their reputation through Newcastle I just think it is a little bit soulless I have to say I don't know if you're a Newcastle if they went fan. Spurs, John, you're both Spurs fans. So let me I, just ask you. Yeah, this. maybe, uh, maybe my, my my opinion has changed. Maybe twenty years ago, I would have embraced it, and I, I want my twenty. I want my nineteen trophies as he would have got under Roman Abramovich. Now, I don't know. Yeah, would 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 you have said no to twenty to years ago? Uh, twenty years ago, I would have said bring it on. Now, maybe not. That's why I'm more interested maybe in international football nowadays. And then when I see that, then I see the World Cup going to Qatar. And even back to the year I was born when Argentina won the World Cup and they're running a military dictatorship. Look, maybe it's just part. It's all baked into the oh, cake. In, international football is but international equally as in, it's equally as infiltrated with money as, as, as I mean, my God, look at the bidding processes for the various different tournaments over the last year, John. It's, it's equally as infiltrated with, with money as club football is, without a doubt. And the IOC is not beyond their issues. So look, maybe it's just... Yeah, maybe you just have to be cynical and just uh, separate it. And, and I don't know what the listeners out there think. Five three one zero six, getting some text messages in on it. Um, uh, John, John, one point in the article I thought was very interesting though, because um, Obramovich obviously has said that he would give all the proceeds of the sale to um, the charity for, for Ukraine, uh, and that was you know one of his parting comments. Hmm. But the article actually makes the point um, that questions the point that uh, maybe you know he. He won't. Maybe they'll be, he'll launch legal proceedings to get his funds back, you know, because it looks like Chelsea are going to be sold for three billion, you know, which is huge money. You know, when you think of, uh, uh, and he's allegedly going to write off the 1.6 billion that he had on the So, you know, I mean, look, Abramovich is, is, you know, the article talks about, you know, he's, and he's, you know, he's a ruthless businessman. I mean, you know, he's, he's a tough upbringing. He, you know, he was, you know, orphaned at three years of age and raised by his uncle. You know, he, he was a salesman selling children's toys and going to Moscow and getting stuff. And, you know, so he's in a tough upbringing. Like, so he's a ruthless businessman. There's no doubt in that. So if he can get his money, he, he'll try and get his money. You know, I mean, they're, they're moving their, their, their property around Europe. They are away from Europe because of the, the sanction at the moment. So, you know, we shouldn't be feeling any sympathy for for these people at, at the top because, yeah. you know, what, what, if, what if it's a sports washing? What if it's, you know, I mean, what, what if it's the love of sport, you know, they're business people. They're business people, and they're in it for for commercial reasons at, at the higher echelons. In that sense, and as both of you talked about the IOC, the, the World Cup, you know, there's question marks about you know a whole lot of stuff at the, the elite level in sport. So for us as fans, you know, I, I, I I'm just being honest, John. Right? And you asked me a question. You know, do I care who the new owner is? No, I don't. You know, I want Chelsea to remain to be successful. Okay. And um, that's, as a fan, what I would want. If I was involved in a different aspect of the business, I might have different okay. views. But as a, pure, as a pure fan, I would do it. 
Incredible turnaround in Clonus. Monaghan and Dublin is into injury time. What's the latest? Paul Finley. Uh, very tense finish here, John. It's 118 Dublin, 312 Monaghan. They make that a draw game. Your controversial penalty given them from a Monaghan perspective, anyway, given to Dublin just some moments ago. But a really, really costly turnover in the middle of the pitch by Colin Walsh. Gave the Dublin's the, uh, Dubs opportunity to go forward. And as you know, you know, it's 6-1, half a dozen the other. Was it a pull, was it not? The referee gave a penalty and Dean Rock dispatched it greatly. You know, it's a draw game here. Brilliant, brilliant game of football. Monaghan just struggling to hold on. And you know, a draw for either team, I'm not sure, is good enough at this point. OK, Paul, so Monaghan 3-12, Dublin 1-18 in the Allianz Football League. Uh, this entering the closing stages. So incredible stuff, uh, Dublin. Uh, Mayo 2-19, Kildare 18 points. Uh, Kerry 2-10. Tyrone one fourteen, Donegal one thirteen, Armagh one twelve. So we've got the number crunchers out to determine who's going down from Division One. Uh, they're still playing in Clonus in Division Two. Roscommon one sixteen, Galway ten points. Offaly one fifteen, Cork one sixteen. That's getting tied as well now at O'Connor Park. Meath two eight, Derry ten points. Down six points, Clare two six. So I'm just getting a, a notification on my screen that Armagh have just equalised so we'll go through everything now with you in the next few moments um, Dar Egan is leading Wexford uh, into the Hurling League semi-final against Waterford at 3.45 Shane and he's in the paper in the Indo today He is yeah Dermot Crow has done a really really good piece John he's he's spoken to a lot of people to, to put this together uh, Eamon Kelly Declan Brown Adrian Fenlon uh, Harry Kyo so he's done a, a, a lot to put this together I, I suppose I was drawn to it I would have a, a bit of an interest um, I've spoken to Dara a few times and he's an incredibly incredibly in- impressive guy um, and even his backroom team there Niall Corkin was in with, with our seniors in leash um, so so he was previously as well. Um, yeah, it, I suppose even just the opening paragraph from Dermot there where he says there's a story that Dar Egan's uh, interview for the Wexford job left a sufficiently compelling impression that he was still on his way home when he got Monaghan have got a point and they're ahead. <laughs> Monaghan 313, Dublin 118, 22 points to 21. Yes, confirming his appointment. Um, he said, he said, as Dermot says himself, it was a, a low trumpet appointment to a certain extent in Wexford. Is it finished? It's over. Monaghan have survived <laughs> and Dublin are relegated from Division 1 of the Football League. Incredible scenes in Clonus. We'll try and get Paul Finley back up there now in a moment. But Monaghan were well ahead. They were pinned back and they've just got the last score of the game and they've survived again in Division 1 so it's set to be Dublin and Kildare that are relegated amazing that the Dubs six times all Ireland winners up to 2020 are going down they're into Division 2 incredible scenes in Monaghan Paul Finley sum it up for us yeah yeah what a brilliant finish Uh, you you really felt it was going away for Monaghan when Dublin got the penalty brilliant goal by Dean Rocket has to be said but kick out 70 yards you know, Monaghan get a free off that, just inside the 45-metre line. And Jack McCarn, who has been outstanding all day for Monaghan. As I said earlier, coming back from an appendix operation just some weeks ago. Remarkable, remarkable performance. Got the delightful goal, John, that you will absolutely love later on on the TV. A lovely little chip over the goalkeeper's head. Just such skills the guy has, and he had the... The confidence to stand up. Rory Began, as he often does for Monaghan, would come up and kick the leg of the street. But Jack McCarron, with the confidence that he was playing with today, decided, no, stay where you are, Rory. I'm kicking this. And he duly put it over the bar. And that was the last kick of the game. And, you know, only like Monaghan can do. Last ditch, last 
kick of the game, last kick of the league, and they find themselves in Division 1 again and relegating Dublin. Absolutely fantastic scenes here in Clonus. 3.13 to 1.18. It had everything, didn't it, Paul? Sendings off to and fro and then that late score. It just, it, it had everything. It had everything that you could want in a Gaelic football match. Loads and loads of scores. Four different goals. Absolutely brilliant football from... It, probably most of the good football came from Monaghan. I don't think Dub- Dublin will be will be satisfied with the performance, but they, they stayed in the game to their credit. You know, relying on a lot of frees. That's probably as a result of Monaghan, you know, giving away cheap fouls, etc. But a really, really fantastic game. You know, played in mighty, mighty conditions. You know, really championship feel almost. And this is almost like it was back in 2015 and 2013 when Monaghan won Ulster titles. You know, the crowd are on the field. I guess it's just because of the the nature of the win, how it came around. And, you know, the, the, the players, and rightfully so, are being, you know, clapped on the back by all the Monaghan supporters here today. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant, another brilliant day for Monaghan football and, you know, defying the odds once more. And Monaghan now will get a huge boost out of that going into the Ulster game against uh, down in the quarterfinals. For sure, you know, I've been asked this week, you know, was this Monaghan team capable of this? I, I, I went on record as saying I didn't see Monaghan winning today because their scoring average just wasn't good enough. Uh, so far in the league, but they really turned it on here today, and it must be said without Conor McManus for uh, whatever it was, seventy odd minutes, because he did come into the fray just with some minutes to go. But you know, it, it really does give them a shot in the arm going into the championship. I did like the, the the I like the balance of the squad, of course. You know, there's a there's a nice blend of experience and youth in there, and you know, no matter what way the game went today, I think that they, they should have been excited going into the Ulster Championship. But this. You know, and the scenes we're seeing here today is just brilliant. You know, credit to Monaghan, credit to the whole setup. You know, it's just another brilliant performance. Another great day to be a Monaghan supporter. And, uh, you know, they've given us many, many days, and this is just another one of them. Uh, Dublin will have to look in the mirror after this relegated, Paul. Yeah, it's really a, a, a bad, bad day for Dublin. Uh, Desi Farrell uh, will not, you know, it will not go down well, you know, from, from where he is in his current stature within the Dublin you know, management uh, it's a big big blow to them you know being relegated to Division 2 we've seen teams we've seen the All-Ireland Champions Tyrone the current All-Ireland Champions being relegated we've seen Mayo being relegated before and coming back so all's not lost but it certainly is a, a, a blow a body blow and another you know because they had been getting gaining some momentum you know coming into today you were feeling that they were going to have too much for Monaghan but not today Monaghan were you know well deserved winners and Dublin just back to the drawing board Thanks so much, Paul. Great win for Monaghan today, 313 uh, to 118. We'll get Paul's reaction with Stephen Doyle there in a little while between now and seven. There's, I would have called it handbags between the Donegal and Armagh players. It's almost turned into 50 fisticuffs now. It's a little bit Shane more Keegan. than yeah, yeah, it's a little it's, more than handbags. This John. has got to be just stamped out of the GA. It's just absolutely ridiculous seeing this on a regular basis. It's just like people just cop themselves on. I'm not trying to be some kind of pious zealot here uh, but like it's just ridiculous what we see at the moment Kildare set to go down because Mayo lead Kildare late on in the football league division one but Dublin relegated relegated in 1995 and uh, then they went to win the All-Ireland but Mayo 219 Kildare 18 points we know that Kildare are going to go down when we look at that scoreline Kerry 211 Tyrone 115 Donegal 114 Armagh 113 so it's going to be a Kerry and Mayo Division 1 final with Roscommon leading Galway 116 to 10 points it'll be Roscommon Galway Division 2 final 
Cork 116, Offaly 115, a latest score. Just to finish up there briefly, Sadar Egan, you were saying? Yeah, yeah, no, look, people should get their hands on the Dermot Crow, Crow piece if you can. Um, yeah, I think Dar is a very, very, very interesting character and, and that's very much backed up by a lot of people who are talking in this article. He's he's probably about um, as polar opposite a personality as, as Davy Fitz is, I suppose, obviously, who he's followed, who he's followed into the role. But what's really interesting about it is even though you've got two personalities that are very very different um, Dara has very much resisted the temptation to to tear up what's gone before him um, and instead has has gone about tweaking what Davy had left behind and 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 trying to make slight changes to it. You know, there's a, I suppose there's a, a a comment that there's a bit more flexibility about how they go about it. That they're using very similar tactics to Dave to Davy set up in some games, whereas in other games now they have the propensity to to change it up a little bit more depending on who the opposition are, even depending on who the what the the weather conditions are like. Um, and I think it's a good sign of Dara that there's, you know, quite often I suppose it's ego in us, um, John. Where you arrive in and you're thinking right I'm ripping this all up and I'm, I'm going to start from scratch here and maybe a little bit of that is well if I don't and there is success well maybe the previous guy might get get a, a little bit of the share of the limelight whereas if it's all my template well then I'm getting all of the plaudits and all the glory but there, there's no ego um with Darig and, and and as I say, it's more subtle changes and subtle tweaks. And in fairness to Wexford as a whole, um, on the hurling front, John, they're, they're they're very very impressive. Um, down there, they've got this high performance committee set up with with, with Billy Walsh and Kieran Dealy and 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 Declan Brown, who's actually interviewed in the piece. And there seems to be some kind of real intelligence behind what they're they're trying to achieve. Um, Darigan seems to be very much recruited based on him fitting a set list of taking a set li- list of boxes in in what they wanted from their managers. And Harry Kyo goes as far as to say that he actually thinks they can they can go all the way and win it this year. I I don't think they will this year. I think. Um, Dara's style will will be something that will will lend itself to the team getting better and better year on year. So I wouldn't write them off going possibly all the way in his time there. Um, but look, they have outstanding hurlers in 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 Rory O'Connor and and, and Connor McDonald, fellas who who maybe are only scratching the surface in terms of fully delivering under talent. If they can get them there, um, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, five three one zero six. Sport does not need money. Commercialism in sport needs money. Says one of our texters listening to the chat now. And Chelsea Newcastle separating sports teams from their owners is proof sports washing works. Says Dan Clifford in Cashel. And God says Alex, what a depressing outlook from both guests on Chelsea. Fans have to take some responsibility for how they support or who they support. Saying it's just sport for escapism is just cowardly. Tuchel and Howe deserve all the questions and criticism that they get. They know where the money comes from. Yeah, look, that's a fair. It's a fair way of coming at it. Um, and there will be, you know, as I was saying, as we were making the comments, I realised myself and Timmy were leaving ourselves open, probably to criticism. But it, it, look, it's 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 how I feel about the whole thing. I, I you know, I, as as I say, it's probably a, a sign of a bit of shallowness on me in terms of the fact that I am willing to brush it to one side so easily, while being fully aware of the issues. Um, fully, fully aware of the issues. At the same time, I am able to manage to stop it impinging on my enjoyment of sport. Do you have a final word, Timmy, and anything you want to push to that we haven't got a time to look through? Yeah, on the um, the Sunday Times, uh, there was a really sad article, you know, uh, about um, a, a young schoolboy Ben Robinson who died on a on a rugby pitch, and it, it tells you know his mother basically is telling the story, and it, it talked about that he got injured four times, at age twelve. Great article to read. It really is, you know, just brings you know the the what sport is all about ultimately and, and unfortunately for Ben Robinson he paid an ultimate price you know he, he was hit four times and you know and his questions about you know concussion really and, and and then on the other side with David Walsh is a very good piece 
after a chat with a doctor Anne McKee in Boston about concussion and the headline of that is in the future she believes people won't want to play collision sports so that's definitely worth the read I would say in that as regards the the, the the Chelsea thing, John. At the end of the day, we you know we like the, the, the Lord once said, "He who is without sin should cast the first stone." I think we all have a right of our opinion, and we have to respect each other's opinion. But as a Chelsea fan, you know, I hope we have another 19 trophies over the next 20 years, um, and we can enjoy some more celebrations. With them. Well, that'll be 18 more than Tottenham. <laughs> Timmy McCarthy, thanks so much. Thanks, John. Good to talk to you guys. See you, Shane. Cheers, Timmy. Shane, thank you. No problem. Enjoyed it.